Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? why but it feels like to me it has been forever since i have talked to you all that said today we are going to jump into motivation next week i am going to do an episode on demotivation so this involves motivation for ourselves as adults how to get kids motivated how to get teens to do things you ask them to do students children anything, anyone around motivation. But before we actually get into motivation, we need to talk a little bit about the memory system and processing because sometimes when we give directions or make requests, it involves kids to tap into their memory system in order to follow through. So memories, they're dynamic. They're not fixed. They are always being shaped and changed based on what's going on in our environment and what we are taking in. And there are many factors that are important to how memories are shaped. So it could be the date, it could be emotions, it could be hormones, it could be like a specific signal of stimulation in the environment, it could be background context or like this preconceived knowledge. It could even be, this is crazy, but something we call epigenetics, where it's it's gene changes, so biological genetic uh, markers that we have in our bodies that are carried down from gene uh, from generation to generation. So lots of things that can impact memory. Also, memories are based on locations. So we call um, these memories more like spatial or episodic memories based on where we are, what's going on. And Memories are based on emotional experiences, conditioned responses, different procedures. So a lot going on there. So think about all the different stimulation aspects we have. That alone is going to impact how well a child can follow through with a task or listen to a direction. And one single memory, one single piece of information that comes in that has to go through our memory system, it involves thousands of neurons, so many different types of neurons. And all these different types of neurons, they form memories at different speeds. So some kids' brains work really fast and they respond quickly and they do what you ask them to do. And other kids have to process a lot longer. So having grace, compassion, and wait time for those who seemingly are taking a bit longer to respond. The other thing is too, some kids have trouble with processing. They have trouble retrieving memories and activating those memories in their brain systems. So they're not good at at retrieving 
Therefore, it seems like they are not good at listening or responding or getting their work done or whatever it is we want them to do. Okay, so think about this in addition to your memory system, your working memory, which is when you're giving directions that like immediate response usually lasts for about five to 30 seconds. And we know the working memory can only hold as adults seven plus or minus two, maybe three items. So very young kids can probably only hold one, maybe two items in their working memory at a time. So when you give a direction, if you ask more than one thing, they may not be able to follow through. And older students, when you give multiple steps to a direction or a prompt or a task or whatever it is, it can overwhelm their brain if their memory system isn't able to hold all the items that you listed. So being sure to kind of ask for clarity, repeat, if it's older kids, write it on the board so kids can see and they can go back to it if they forget. So it's not, motivation isn't all just willpower. There's a lot of biological factors that go on here with it as well. And the best and first thing to do is get students in the right state or the appropriate state to respond. If you want them to do something they probably aren't going to have the motivation to do, if you're already offering that or suggesting that or requesting it when they're in a down state, much more likely they're going to follow through. So try and get them in a better state first. And when we're talking about states, emotional states. So if they're down, you want to get them up. If they're up, you want to get them down. It's really an issue of state management. State change first. Okay. Now, let's talk a little bit more about specifics of motivation. One interesting thing is that music can be really motivating. So it's a it's really because it's such an excellent way to influence a student's state. It can put them in a good state based on how fast the music is, how upbeat the music is. So that's a great way to get kids to be motivated by adding in music. Walks, especially outside fresh air, that can reset the state to enable a student to be present and more ready to do something. Uh, stretching is a really good one. Even quick little games are really, really great. So be sure to make sure that we are setting the state, resetting the state, and being aware of the state before we offer something that we know is going to probably be more challenging. And the time of day matters too. Think about that. In the morning, kids would be a little bit more groggy or maybe they're more alert. In the afternoon, they have that like slope where they just seem out of it. So trying to do things that are less motivating earlier in the day or right after lunch or when they have more energy. Okay, now that we've talked about a little bit the biological factors in the states, we need to go back to, okay, if you're trying to get a student to do something or a child to do something, it's not a matter of bribing or threatening them. Motivation is a lot more biological, a lot more state dependent. So bribes and threats and things like that typically aren't going to work quite as well, even though it's what we use a lot of in school systems and family systems now. So try to get away from that and try to focus more on state change and reducing the amount of steps or things in the direction. Okay, so what else can we do? Two types of motivation, which I'm sure you've heard of before, extrinsic, intrinsic. 
extrinsic is more of that bribing or, or like praise to get a response usually involves tangible items or maybe threats that is not the way we want to go what works so much better what makes things stick what builds relationships with kids is more of that intrinsic side of things so if we already have a good relationship with kids, they're more likely to listen to what we say, do what we ask, be more motivated by the things we ask them to do. So build a relationship if you haven't already done that. Two, novelty, newness really elicits motivation. So try to bring in some newness, some curiosity, prime them, prep them, get them excited for what you're about to do. So much of our parenting and our school leadership is authoritarian so try to give up a sense of control to them try to let them take the lead that kind of flipped classroom flipped teaching where they have more ownership they have more control they have more power and there are lots of ways to do this to get them motivated i mean there's a whole course i wrote on seven communication techniques i think it's called seven types of communication to disarm or disarming communication to disarm children these communication tactics are ways to get kids motivated to do what you want because the way that we, I teach these, the way that we use them, how they were developed is to give kids a sense of control, to let them take the lead and to give them more freedom. So if you're interested in learning more about communication side of motivation, that's a great course to look into. But it's important that we we do this. They become independent, they become motivated, they become better humans when we give them the lead and try to embed social interaction we're social beings even if we're more introverted we are naturally social beings so social interaction within directions within requests will solicit motivation as well challenge them this is where it gets tricky challenge them not too much and not too little but just right you know like goldilocks principle so figure out what works well for each student and where they're at and what's going to challenge them just enough and then you can throw in some extrinsic motivators there so you could um you know as a result of finishing this we will do this not most preferred not the first go-to kind of a last resort but it can also be like yeah i mean there are times where for myself where i'm like okay well if i finish this i can have a chocolate or a glass of wine or whatever it may be, I will use that to motivate myself. It's definitely more extrinsic, but it's not bad to include some of that sometimes. It's just not great to default to that all the time. And most importantly, help them to see the significance in what you're asking them to do or see the importance. This happens a lot in education where kids just don't see the importance of the tasks that we're asking them to do or the assignments if we can help them see the importance that we can get buy-in, much more likely to listen, much more likely to retain, much more likely to develop stronger relationships where things work better in the future. So all different ways to get kids motivated, to get them to listen, to get them to do what you want them to do. So again, quick recap, find the importance, include music, state change, um, build the relationship, and there's a full series of communication tools and techniques that you can use in our communication course, which you can find on our website. Those are just a few options to get kids more motivated. And remember, they can only hold so much in their brain at one time. So not giving them too much too fast, breaking it down or chunking it down so that they can digest all of it. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is, 
how do childcare providers or educators who deal with challenging, how, how do they deal with the challenging behaviors of the young children they care for? So for kids that are more challenging, that have challenging behaviors, one, I talk about this a lot, challenging behaviors come from an unmet need. So trying to look beyond just the behavior and what is the need that the behavior is being used to get met. So that's the first place to start. The second thing I would say is this is, you know, has groundwork in psychology and neuroscience and human behavior. And these are things that most people would naturally know. So getting staff, getting childcare providers, educators, even parents, coaching support, one-on-one or group coaching support, offering very research-based professional development, even the support programs that we offer. We do some, the Behavior Hub does some one-on-one coaching, but it does a lot of group support programs. So we have two basic group um, journeys you can go on. One is teaching these educators, providers about all things, stress, trauma, behavior in the brain, so that they can understand why behaviors are happening and how to respond so they feel more equipped and better able and capable of responding better. Therefore, they will be happier in their work. And the second journey you can go on, the coaching journey, the, the program that we teach is self-care stress management. So when childcare providers, educators have a handful of students with challenging behaviors, or even one student who is significantly more challenging, they need to learn to take care of themselves, what they can do to reduce their stress, to manage their anxiety so that they can better show up for kids and better respond to them. So just a few options there. All of those programs are available. If you reach out to me, you can send me a text or you can pop onto the website and you can email me through any of the contact forms on the website and I can give you more information. They're not highly advertised on the website because I don't do a lot of them. Text me at 717-693-7744. All right, to wrap up the show, I'm going to give you a try at home tip, which is taking deep breaths upon waking in the morning. So get in the habit of every morning, as soon as you sit up or as soon as your feet hit the ground, take three to five, even 10 big, huge, deep breaths. Why? Our cortisol, our stress hormone, is the highest in the morning upon waking. So if you can bring that down, especially if your mornings are chaotic or especially if you start quickly, that will put you in a much better state. We talked about this earlier, state change to go into your day. You'll be much happier, much more fulfilled, much more relaxed. So take some deep breaths upon waking. That is it for today's episode of Returning to Us podcast. Remember our tried at home tip, breaths, deep breaths upon waking. If you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, or the brain, I'd love to be a part of that learning journey for you and with you. So Behavior Hub offers a range of supports from coaching to online courses to group training programs to university credit, partnered up with the University of Pennsylvania, offer university credit for a trauma program. If you want to learn more about any of these things, pop onto the website or text me at 717-693-7744. And if you'd like me to answer one of your questions on a future show, email me at podcast at thebehaviorhub.com. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.